Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Thelen and Nick Stevens. And with the World Series and the 2022 Major League Baseball season in the books, we tonight bring back one of our time-honored traditions here on On the Verge, which is our off-season prediction show. And for this episode, we're joined by a special guest. He is the host of Locked On Orioles part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and making his second appearance on On the Birds in the last two months. Uh, he is Connor Newcomb. Connor, how are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm getting close to, uh, you know, if, if we've got any new listeners out there who've only been around for a couple months listening, uh, it sounded like I'm the fourth co-host right now. <laughs> uh, Connor's working catch uh, over at Locked On Orioles. He's been on this show four times now since we started back in 2020 and we're happy to have him on tonight and what we're going to take a look at is the offseason that could be really interesting for the Orioles after an 83 and 79 finish it seems like this could be the winter where we see the team spend possibly reinforce the major league roster with talent but there's a first domino to fall in this offseason and it's whether or not Jordan Wall's 11 million dollar club option will be exercised or declined, and I'm going to let Connor start with this one. Yeah, I mean, I've talked about it on my show a lot, and the hope is that for this offseason, a Jordan Lyles move is not like the end-all, be-all, like it turned into a little bit last year. I mean, he was the best player that the Orioles signed to a free agent deal last offseason. Obviously, we're hoping that's not the case. I don't know how much... A decline or, or picking up the option is really going to show us about what the O's are going to do the rest of the offseason. But I actually ended up predicting on, on the show last week that they're going to decline it. And I just think because of the amount of pitching they put together in-house this year, and I do think that there's a possibility of a trade and a free agent acquisition, not saying both would be ace-type players, but two guys who are probably better than Jordan Lyles in the long run. And I just think they'll use that $11 million elsewhere uh, potentially on you know a, a guy for fifteen million who is much much better than Jordan Lyles. I kind of, I kind of agree exactly with what Connor is saying, except I think they're going to pick it up as like uh, insurance because I feel like I think it's a ten million option or no eleven million something with the the buyout being a million. It's going to cost the team an extra ten million, I guess. Uh, Lyles for eleven million. I feel like you can pick that up. You can go search the market, the free agent market, the trade market and hope to find one or two guys better than him. And then if you do, you can flip him to a team that, 
you know, is kind of like the Orioles in the last two years where they're desperate for innings. Yes, just like Vivek says, like Jose Iglesias, pick up that option and then trade him. Hopefully we can get a Gene Pinto. You know, we love him over here. But I think worst case, you know, you can't get a guy to sign to the terms you want, whatever reason. No one wants to trade. You only get one or can't even get uh, anyone really big to come in. And, and you'll have Lyles there as a, a setback to, or a, a fallback option that hopefully you don't need. Yeah, I guess I'm fine either way. But for this, I'll say... Yeah, they do pick it up. I don't. I kind of agree with Connor's statement that I don't think they really need to, and I'm hoping that the moves they make later this offseason kind of make picking up Jordan Lau's option null and void. But I'm going to say, yeah, they do. I think we really lucked out and got peak Jordan Lau's last, last season, which was fantastic. But I'm not expecting a repeat performance. But if he can be productive as like a number five or some sort of role, he's he's worth the money because you already know he pitches well at Camden Yards. Uh, and then, you know, the young arms on this team obviously learned a lot from him and have a ton of respect for him. So maybe his value was a little more than just on the field. And yeah, I say pick it up and then something happens. But he, he definitely doesn't finish the year with the Orioles. I'll be fine with the move either way. Um, and I've gone back and forth myself on whether or not I think it's going to happen. But ultimately, I fall on the side that I think they're going to decline it because they could probably spread that money around a little bit more between the raises that they're projected to issue an arbitration, having to add to the rotation over the offseason and probably add to the lineup in a couple of areas. So I think that $11 million, it's not a huge pot of money, or I guess really the $10 million will be a $1 million buyout. That $10 million is not a huge pot of money in the grand scheme of things, but it could help you leverage a deal somewhere else or another deal or two. So I think ultimately the Orioles are going to decline the option. And right after that option is either picked up or declined, uh, will the next big offseason move, or at any point this offseason, but will the Orioles sign Adley Rutschman to an extension this offseason? We'll start with Bob on this one. I do think they will come to an agreement with Adley. I, I feel like he proved to be so important to the team already in just not even one full season. So you got to lock that guy up. He's going to be the cornerstone, the face of the franchise for the next five to ten years at least. So I think it will happen. I think it'll be closer to spring training, if not during spring training. And I'm going to say it'll be like seven or eight years with some options, maybe mutual, maybe team, maybe player. But I, I think it'll be like seven or eight years and it'll it'll happen in 2023. But before the season starts. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and say no, that it doesn't happen this offseason. That does not mean I think it's not going to happen because they are going to extend Adley Rutschman. But I think this is maybe, you know, I could potentially see it happening during the year next year, but I think most likely maybe this happens after next season. Um, and this could have to do with the fact that maybe if you think the Orioles are expanding their payroll, but they're not exactly going to be Steve Cohen spenders or anything close to it this offseason, that you know if they can get some guys in now, if they're upping the payroll, and then maybe to sell it to the Angelos family and be like, look, we're not going to up everything at once, we can give you one more year of incredibly cheap, you know, all-star catcher while we pay a, a pitcher and an infielder. And then, you know, you go do that extension next year. And will it be more expensive next year? Yes. But maybe that's a way to to get a little more money to spend in free agency because we just don't know how much D'Angelo's family is going to hand down to Mike Elias this offseason. It's a little concerning because they're fighting with each other right now. But I would say that by next offseason, it's going to happen. I just don't know if it will happen this offseason, so I'm going to say no. 
I agree with Connor. I think it's going to happen. But if I had to guess if it's going to happen between now and spring training or even the start of the regular season, I'm going to say no. And where it comes down for me is where is the urgency from either side? I have to imagine that it is there on the Orioles' side to an extent. But if you're Adley Rutzman, are you really anxious to sign an extension right now when even a good two months to start next season could give you just a little bit more leverage? Um, and, I, you know, the whole notion that players won't sign extensions during the season, I just don't think is entirely true. So I don't think you're necessarily looking at a situation where the window, at least for the next, you know, 10 months or whatever, shuts on February 1st because they couldn't get it done before the end of the off season. So I don't think they get it done between now and spring training, but if I had to guess, I would say it's going to happen within the next 12 months or so. I'm just going to ride the emotional wave here. You shocked the world last year. You've got the AL soon to be manager of the year uh, in Brandon Hyde. This team overperformed expectations. I get that, but man, what a perfect start to the off season. It would be if you, bring back Jordan Lyles. And then you say, we've got the Adley extension. We lock him down. I just think, you know, if it's, it'd be a fantastic way, like this whole liftoff thing that everybody's right. What does liftoff mean? Well, I think it could start with an Adley extension. Uh, but yeah, the business side of things, points that you guys are making do make a ton of sense. I don't know why Adley would want to sign right now, but you never know what's going on behind the scenes. So I'm going to stay optimistic and dream a little bit and say it's, uh, it's one of the first things done this offseason. That would be amazing. And yeah, I mean, maybe the injury in spring training last year puts a little bit of a fear and X factor in there that, hey, let me just get this locked up. But yeah, you guys are right. He doesn't necessarily have some big rush to try to sign this deal, but Julio Rodriguez did, and they're fighting it out for rookie of the year. So we'll see what happens. And I don't think the extension money would fall, the theoretical extension money would fall into this next question, but how much total money will the Orioles spend on free agents this offseason? Start with Zach. Um, a lot more than they did last year. Uh, <laughs> That's start hard. Start with that. Uh, if we're looking at total in terms of the, the full and contract lengths, I would say maybe somewhere north of $70 million. I'm thinking they get a pitcher, they get a free agent bat or two where you're looking at probably some deals where they're backloaded a little bit in terms of their average annual value. So I, I would say somewhere north of 70 million total. I'm going to go about double that. I'm again, good vibes. Uh, but I'm also assuming here that I'm going to say about like 140. I think that can get you two good quality starters. You're not, you're not shopping the run, the Carlos Rodon, Jacob deGrom, obviously, but two good quality starters, maybe a cheap, cheap third veteran, uh, especially if you don't bring Lyles back, but maybe a quality backup catcher. Uh, and then probably in my plan, it would be an outfielder. Cause I do think that someone gets moved, whether it's uh Santander or Hayes, one of them is gone. I don't think Mullen stays, but um Maybe even a utility infielder as well, like the Jace Peterson type. I don't think maybe it's not going to be your Carlos Correa or anything, but you get a Jace Peterson type player to help ease that transition with as you try to figure out where does Gunner play best? Where do you put Westberg if he's still around? Does Ortiz come up? Uh, Ramon Arias, is he still around? While you figure out all that infield headache that we talked about last week, um, I think Jace Peterson would be a good quality player to bring in. But yeah, throw around a, a you know $140 million and let's see. I, I think that's kind of going to be way too much even though i know a lot of fans are begging for the 140 just to go to one guy we'll see 
My head does not agree with the prediction I'm about to make, but I would like to see it happen so much that I'm going to say it. I'm going to put like 180 million out there. And I'm going to say that prediction because I am holding strong that the Orioles are going to sign one of the top four shortstops that are on the market. Xander Bogarts opted out today, which means all four of those guys are going to hit free agency unless, you know, the Braves pull out one of these you know, crazy extensions that they always get guys to sign in the next two days with Dansby Swanson. But it looks like all four of those shortstops are going to be out there. It's going to take a good chunk. I think the Orioles could work out a deal where maybe it's around, you know, 130 to 150, depending on, you know, how many years they'd like on that deal. Then you add a starting pitcher and, you know, maybe the other moves around there are probably on the margins. But I could see the Orioles having you know, kind of an offseason where, you know, they don't sign seven free agents, but maybe it's two guys to at least show you're willing to spend the money and at least get this team closer to where they feel like they can get to the postseason. You add on waivers, you add the, you know, the one-year $5 million guys around those two big pieces, the the starter and the hitter, and, you know, it, it's going to cost you. So $180 million. All right. I'm going to say... I feel like 100 million would be a good over under um, if you're Vegas, but I'm going to say 115 million. I'm going to say they sign a starting pitcher like a Chris Bassett or a Nathan Eovaldi for like three years, 60 million. Some bat along the lines of Jock Peterson, Jose Abreu for like around two years of 40 million. A backup catcher, whether it's a Roberto Perez or I don't know Austin Hedges for one year, five million, and then. Another pitcher, whether it's a bounce back starting candidate slash reliever for two years and $10 million or a better reliever for one year and $10 million. That's how I would see them allocating that, but I'd be happy with that. I'm going to go down a completely different path here, which is this is going to be the first offseason where we see the MLB draft lottery uh, play out. And I'm going to try to guess now, uh, starting with Nick, where will the Orioles land in the MLB draft lottery? Uh, they will not get a top six pick. I, I don't know which website it was. It was like some, you can simulate it. I think I had to click it like 130 something times before. And the Orioles landed on number two, but every other time it was number 17. Um, yeah, but you, you look at, they're getting that extra pick for not signing uh, the kid from Oklahoma State that they weren't able to get last year. That was kind of a, a bummer. Um, but you're getting him. Uh, you're stacking the odds pretty high in your favor, I think, coming up in the next couple of drafts with the Rookie of the Year winners awards. So, And I just think that this team kind of was a little bit more risky in last year's draft, maybe in the, the later half of the, the draft process. But, yeah, I, I think they're getting a little bit more risky with the draft process, which I like. Um, so I, I don't mind it. This team's pretty good at you know evaluating talent in the draft and, and developing these guys. So it's not going to be a top six pick, but for for the the crazy guys like us, um, I'm sure Vivek's going to be here as well. We we'll have to bring him back on for some draft preview stuff. I think it's going to make covering next year's draft a little bit more fun, to be honest. Yeah, I believe they have a 0.4 percent chance to get the number one pick, which yeah. would just be hilarious. <laughs> I mean, if if a Michael Elias team went out there overperformed anything he thought was going to happen, even from the trade deadline on, as we saw from the initial comments. And then he still goes and gets the number one pick. I mean, he'd just be sitting pretty. But yeah, I mean, you know, the way it works, if you don't get in that that top six, you're going to end up with, you know, picking where your record is. So 
you know, the chances are so low because the Orioles won 83 games. So, you know, I, I don't think they, they get in that top six, but this is also a prediction where it's literally just luck. Um, so I could throw a number out there um, and, and maybe it would stick, but I don't think they're, they're picking in the top six. Yeah. We have a 3.4% chance to get a top six pick and a 2.3 or 2.2% chance to get 18th pick if Milwaukee gets a top six pick. So yeah, I'm going to play the odds and uh, say we stick around 17 and yeah, that'll be interesting. Middle of the pack. A lot of names we'll have to learn more than just the top five or six or so in, in next year's draft. Yeah. I'm going to say 17th as well. Cause I did the same thing that Nick did and I didn't even bother going beyond like the 50 or so clicks <laughs> that it would take um, to have the world land any, anywhere higher than 17th. So I think that they're going to pick 17th, but if the trends of last year's draft repeat themselves, there's still going to be a pretty good player or two available at that point in the draft. So definitely not something to worry about if you're concerned that the Orioles are going to start seeing their farm system wane in terms of what they can get out of the draft because they're winning. Yeah, I think Prospects Live is already putting out lists. So if you're if you're eager, uh, you can go ahead and already start doing your research. But um We'll go next question here is how many trades do the Orioles make before opening day? We'll start with Zach on this one. I'm going to go with three and I think two will fit the tip will fit the mold of trying to make the 2023 team better. And I think you will see one trade in there where they maybe move a guy who is basically deemed surplus um, or that doesn't quite fit on the roster for this year where they could get some value back. But I think you're going to see three trades um, over the offseason, and most of them will be to make the 2023 Major League roster better. Yeah, I said three as well. Um, And I kind of agree with the reasoning as well. I have us trading Lyles, obviously, already got to stay consistent, pick up that option, get two better options in-house, and then trade Lyles for probably, what, a couple international prospects or something like that. So. I could see that happening. I could see one big trade, one like, wow, eyeball opening trade for a Shane Bieber, Corbin Burns type where we're really going after it, giving up some good prospects there. And then I could see, like you said, trying to move around some surplus, quote unquote surplus for some combination of Austin Hayes, Ramon Urias, Keegan Aiken and a prospect and just bringing in a guy along similar value, but just in a, a, a position where they feel like it could help the team better. Yeah, I was just looking up just to go back to to the last question. If the Orioles do pick 17th, the, the last 17th pick to end up with more than a cup of coffee in the big leagues uh, was Tim Anderson in 2013. Um, but I, I trust Mike Elias to, to draft well, but hopefully they end up a, a little higher than, than 17. But you can obviously still get uh, a good player. Forrest Whitley was there. Evan White was there. They were good prospects, but uh, we know how that's been turning out so far. But to the trades... Um, I think they trade for a starting pitcher. I don't know if they can pull off the Shane Bieber heist that I've been talking about all offseason on my podcast so far. We will see if they can make that work. But I think even on the margins, you know, sticking in Cleveland, like a guy like Aaron Savali, like I could see them going after a guy like that where, you know, a, you know, a guy who's just about to hit arbitration on, you know, one of these teams doesn't like to spend a lot and, you know, you can you can flip some guys there. I think we're still going to see – actually, Vivek asked me this question on a mailbag episode a couple weeks ago. I think we're going to see the similar to the Tanner Scott-Cole-Salser trade, but maybe with just one guy, and I think it's going to be CNL Perez. 
Um, I do think that because he outperformed his expected stats so much, the Orioles may sell high on him. So there's a second trade. And I think there could be a third, like 40 man roster crunch trade where, you know, maybe it is a Ramona Rios being dealt, um, you know, maybe for, you know, two prospects who are not quite, you know, don't have to be placed on the 40 man or even a swap, you know, that the Orioles could do if they feel like, you know, hey, if we send, um, you know, one of our our hitting prospects who isn't, you know, quite on a on a starting track just yet, but maybe somebody feels like they can fix him a little bit. Like maybe it's a use Neil Diaz for a you know high spin rate pitcher, like kind of similar to the Yastrzemski for Tyler Herb trade, but one that actually works out a little better for the Orioles. So I'm going to say three. Well, let's package using Diaz and Keegan Aiken. What can we get for that? Um, Colorado, what's up? Um, I think. I said three as well. I could see as many as like five, but again, some of those being some of those like real, really small fringy trades you'll see like in the winter meetings or something. But I want to say either an outfielder and or Ramon Arias goes, whether it's Santander, Hayes, uh, Mullins, Arias, or although I think Mullins would be the lowest odds there. I think one of them probably leaves. Um, a reliever, I think, does get moved. I agree with that as well. I said from the Perez, Baker, Aiken, Tate group, uh, just because, again, especially if the organization views one of those guys as a definite overperformer, why not sell high? Um, I banged that drum all year last year about selling Tanner Scott earlier and all this stuff, and they waited. But maybe you're able to sell high with a guy. We know trades are difficult to make. but um, And then I do think we see a notable trade on the prospect front. Maybe not the blockbuster quite yet, but you start to see some of these guys, You know, whether it's a – a Cesar Prieto tight move. You look, there's the glut of middle infielders. Some of that, the outfielders, I think you're starting to see a backlog in the upper levels of the minor league a little bit. So if you can move one of those guys who still got a little bit of ceiling, uh, I think maybe some side of, some sort of a package there is uh, achieved. All right. So Vivek's going to get more mentions on this podcast than uh, Michael Ice himself, because we're going to talk about the rule five draft here, his favorite. Um, do you think obviously this team has been in love with the rule five draft? even before Elias, Duquette, McPhail, you know, this team has loved the Rule 5 draft. But as we're hoping to compete starting next year, is there room for a Rule 5 pick on next year's team? Let's start with Connor. Yeah, I think they're going to have at least one open spot when we get to, you know, the Rule 5 draft. And it'll be interesting for the Orioles this year because, you know, the draft is always during the winter meetings and that's when some other moves can be made. The Orioles really haven't been busy during the winter meeting the last couple of years, so they're basically just geared up for, you know, have at least two spots open on the 40-man that they can use. Well, those spots might get filled elsewhere during the winter meetings, but I do think they're going to go into the Rule 5 draft with at least one spot open. And if they draft somebody and two weeks later they make a signing and that guy gets sent back to his original team, I wouldn't be super surprised if that happens. But I think they're going to at least take a shot on somebody. I'm really interested to see how the cancellation of the draft from last year impacts what the prospect pool looks like this year because just if you look at you know the guys the Orioles decided not to protect you know the, the two big names we talked about were Newstrom and Vespi well Vespi you know at least has a solid up and down year he's still on the 40 man I, I don't see him getting DFA'd and Newstrom you know his stock went way down I don't think anybody's going to be picking him up in the Rule 5 draft so it'll be really interesting to see how that canceled year impacts these guys but whether it's a catcher type or just your general you know relief slash you know maybe fringe starter guy i think the o's will will certainly pick someone you know whether it's duquette or or it's elias they love to to find some value there 
Yeah, you got to at least spot for at least one. I mean, you're going to take a gander around the pool, see what's there. Stay tuned. I'm sure we're going to have a big preview episode. It's a fun process just to dig deep on guys you otherwise wouldn't. Uh, and so it's fun to look around the Major League rosters right now and see where the 40-man rosters, non-40-man rosters, see who could be available. But and you look at the roster right now, Santander and Tyler Wells, you find that you see the success the Orioles have had with some of these guys. You're going to leave a spot open and, and see. And you don't have to use it. You can skip the pick or just take the guy. And like Connor said, you take the guy and then you sign somebody else. You make a trade and then you go ahead and send them back. And you lose, what, $20,000 or something like that? Nothing big. So, yeah, it's rule five in Baltimore. It, it's a time-honored tradition that I love. Yeah, they're going to take someone. I mean, think of it as basically making a waiver claim. I mean, it's not exactly the same, but I think that the Orioles are, even as they, you know, add to the major league roster in hopes of winning now, I still think that adding to the margins of the roster wherever you can for as cheaply as possible is going to be part of their formula. So the Rule 5 draft fits into that. That doesn't mean that I think whoever they end up taking with that pick is going to stick on the opening day roster. In fact, that the odds probably will be against them going into spring training. But I would be very surprised if they don't take someone and they don't leave a spot or two open going into the Rule 5 draft. Yeah, I could waste my bold prediction and say they're not going to take someone, but I, I also agree they will take someone. And, yeah, they'll probably be returned before the end of spring training. But, hey, it's a chance to bring someone in. Hope something clicks, or maybe you can make a change or two to really get them to uh, show something beyond what they have shown so far. So it doesn't hurt. It's only $25,000. While that would wreck me financially, it's not going to hurt the Orioles whatsoever. We'll move on now to the outfield situation. Will any of Anthony Santander, Cedric Mullins, or Austin Hayes be traded? If so, which one or which players, if you are inclined to say that more than one would be moved? And I'll start with Bob here. Of course you will. Um, I would like to say it would just be Austin Hayes. I'm starting to think if we're going to make a trade for a Corbin Burns, you saw the Brewers are saying, hey, we were going to be very active this winter. Uh, a Shane Bieber, maybe Mullins is a key part in that trade. So you don't have to dip into too many of your prospects. Obviously, I think to get one of those guys, it had to be Mullins plus somebody in your top 15 prospects, uh, maybe even Hayes and Mullins go, but I do think one of them will go. If I have to finally just give an official answer, I'm going to say Mullins because I'll probably be the only one who says that. All right. I'm going to say Austin Hayes again. I'm going to keep beating this drum. I just, uh, he's fallen out of favor with me. I, I kind of hope that the Santander trade talks kind of cool a little bit. I I'm perfectly fine with keeping him around, keeping that bat. I mentioned talked about last week, how, I know he doesn't like it, but if you have to move him like first base DH and keep him in that rotation with, you know, some part-time outfield play, I think that would be probably best. Get him the most at bats, the most playing time. But I want that bat in the middle of the lineup. He finally broke out last year. We saw exactly what he's capable of, and I think there's might even be just a touch more left. Um, so yeah, I don't see Cedric Mullins would be tough. I'm not on like the if he tra- if he's traded, fine. Uh, but if he stays, I'm gonna love it. I think he is able to turn things around a little bit next year, but Austin Hayes, I just, I don't see where that ceiling is with him anymore. It's two straight years where he's been relatively healthy and he's been essentially not much more than a league average hitter. I think so. It's yeah. If you can find a trade partner, someone who thinks you can turn him around, move him. I'm going to say none of them get dealt. Um, 
I was on the train of Santander being traded at some point, but I think he went to an extra level power wise this year and, and showed, you know, he revamped his swing a little bit, his approach a little bit, his body a little bit. And yeah, he lost some defensive ability, but he, you know, he, he almost touched 35 homers on a team that lost some power in general just because of the wall being moved back and guys, you know, going into some offensive slumps. So I think they keep him around. I mean, he's only going to be about $7 million in arbitration. For a guy who produced that well, that is an easy yes to bring him back. For Cedric Mullins, we know this is going to continue to be trade rumors. I think we're past the point of trading Mullins for prospects. They would have done that. They would have done it last offseason. If it's a Mullins trade, it better be for the big-time ace. And I just don't know if they're going to be able to swing that. And I love Cedric Mullins, and that's a hard guy to replace, the kind of value he brings you. And I just think for Austin Hayes, right now, after how he ended the year, even as like a throw-in to a deal, I don't know how much value he provides to another team because he's hitting arbitration now. So it's not even like he's still, you know, on the minimum contract where you can figure things out. And he was abysmal for the final, you know, three plus months of the year. He's a worse defender than I think people used to think. He still has a great throwing arm, but he he doesn't quite, you know, patrol the outfield like he did as a prospect and as a very young player when he came in center field and you know all the tools are just not what we thought they would be so i almost think for the orioles they are best set to just hold on to him i mean he's going to get one and a half to two million arbitration if it's a stowers and hayes platoon for a while in the outfield i mean you maybe try that with santander mullins and somebody else at, at dh or you bring in an outfielder and santander's your dh I just think he's the most likely, but I, his value really isn't there for another team to even want him added on to a deal. If I can just add on to the Santander love, because, I mean, this guy, if you look at Baseball Savant, the power just seems like it really took off. And he's one of the few guys that was here in the majors when the new hitting coaches came in, when the swing decisions came in, and it seemed to actually help him quite a bit with his wall rate going up significantly. But Baseball Savant has him, if he played – his games in Cincinnati, he would have had 46 home runs. If he was in Texas, 45, Los Angeles, Angels, 44, Colorado, 44. So the power was real. And if anything, it just, I think the 31 that he hit, or I don't know, he hit 33, whatever. It seems like the Orioles park was like one of the worst parks for him to hit in as far as his profile with the power. So keep him around. I don't really want him in the outfield too much. I think he would be great as a, you know, the Trey Mancini role at the beginning of 2022 where he's DHing. Maybe he can learn to play a little bit of first base, can play outfield in a pinch. But yeah, I'm all aboard. Keep Santander around train. Yeah, I this is another question that I struggle with and I wrote it so that I could watch everyone else struggle with it before I had to struggle with it. I think that Mullins is not going to be traded because ultimately the middle ground between 2022, which was still an okay year, but not as good as 2021, that middle ground is still going to be hard to replace. A four and a half to five win center fielder who does a little bit of everything, that's going to be really hard to replace. So I don't think he's moved. I think Santander stays because it's going to be harder than it looks to make up for that loss of power. I will just go ahead and say that I think Hayes is traded, and I know that it's going to be really hard. I agree with everything that Connor said about his value and it being hard to find a fit for him. What I do question though, is could you find a team that maybe looks at Austin Hayes and thinks, bring him into a ballpark where he could hit for a little bit more power 
and see what he can do over half a season and then flip him to get back some prospects. That's probably where Hayes' value is. Could you get someone to buy a little high on him next July? Um, or could he just be, for the next year or two, the serviceable stopgap for you at a corner outfield spot until you're ready to find somebody better? Um, so I think I think he's moved, but I don't think that there is an obvious fit. Colorado, baby. <laughs> or Cincinnati. They're rebuilding. Uh, real quick, for anybody, really. Um, I saw some talk about this on Twitter. Any th- thought of... Hayes possibly being non-tendered. I don't think so. Only because the number is so low. You know, yeah. it's projected. I believe at one point eight million by MLB trade rumors. I can't yep. see it being any more than two million dollars that they have to pay for Austin Hayes. And if you're a competing team, even if Austin Hayes is like a platoon outfielder, that usually costs you more than mm-hmm. two million dollars. Vivek made a good point in the chat. I mean, he's still you know worth almost two wins. Uh, you know, and he still gives you something in the outfield and he's still a valuable player to have on the team, even if he's in a part-time role and for $2 million, I just don't think it's there yet. Now, if he was set to make like a Santander amount, you know, seven to 10 million and he had performed like that, I think that would be a real conversation we'd be having, but at two, you know, it's worth it to just pick it up and, and, you know, deploy your options. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, interesting to see this i just want this offseason to get rolling now so let's get some actual moves to talk about uh right. speaking of what is your boldest orioles related prediction for this offseason start with bob i have two um my first one is the o's don't trade a top 10 prospect this offseason just because if again if anything with these prediction shows you got to be consistent so if mullins is going to be a big part of the quote unquote big trade that I'm predicting we're going to make, then I don't necessarily know if you're going to need to take anyone else from the top 10. Uh, maybe you can get away with uh, a guy 11 to 15 or a couple guys in that level to uh, complete that deal. And I think with the depth that they've accumulated, that they can still get some, some deals done with, uh, with some lower guys, lower level guys like uh, Daryl Hernandez, and I'd love to see him stick around, but you have to trade somebody, but there's other ways that they can uh, get around that. And then my second bold prediction is that the Orioles will re-enter the Asian market this offseason, whether it's the the pitcher Cody Koda Senge. Sorry, I don't know how to pronounce it, or that position player that played with, I think it was Ha-Seong Kim. Uh, I would like to see them get back, dip their toes back into that market. I'm going to yeah, say that Ramon Arias and Jorge Mateo both make it through the offseason with the Orioles. I don't think either one has moved. Um, I think that what will happen is in my scenario where Austin Hayes is traded, that's going to open up a spot somewhere for them. And I think Arias and Mateo are complementary players to each other. They don't really fill the same role. And I think that if the Orioles do trade from that prospect depth this offseason, it's going to be upper-level middle infielder which means there's going to be one less player at the AAA level knocking on the door of the majors early next year. So at that point, Rios as your third baseman and second baseman, Mateo as your shortstop and second baseman, who you can put into the outfield on occasion, have bench roles. I think I already alluded to mine a little bit, and John was in the comments there, but I'm going to expand it just a bit to not bottle myself to one player. 
either Carlos Correa, Trey Turner, or Xander Bogarts is in an Orioles uniform on opening day next year. I just think with the class that is there of the shortstops, yes, the Orioles have Jordan Westberg almost ready. Yes, Gunnar Henderson is there. But if they are trying to win, and again, paying for this player is not just a 2023 move. You're going to have to give this guy, whoever it is, five to six years at least on the contract. So, you know, Jordan Westberg, if he hits, he's going to fit. He's going to be in the big leagues. He's going to fit on the team, or you're going to trade him for an ace starting pitcher. So I do think that one of those guys is going to end up in an Orioles uniform. I don't think it's as much as, you know, the the talk from one kind of random source we saw on the Orioles and Correa last offseason. I think this is where the liftoff comes for Mike Elias. And I honestly would be fine with any of those three guys. I don't think it's going to be Dansby Swanson. I honestly think he could be back in Atlanta, but I think any of the other three each bring, you know, great all-star qualities with each fit right in the middle or in Turner's case, maybe at the top of this Orioles order. Um, all of them have their question marks defensively, although Bogart's got a lot better this year. But when you have Mateo and Henderson already on the left side, you could play those guys at second base and figure it out. And it just makes this offense, which is the thing that in September held the Orioles back, makes it so, so much better. I would love that. I like it as well. Uh, my bold, I'm going, I think I kind of alluded to this last week, but I'm going to say the Orioles and Brewers make a blockbuster trade. Uh, if I'm going bold here, I just think the Brewers, they've got new leadership. I, I don't see them punting on 2023, but maybe pushing things back maybe by a year while they try to figure out this roster and exactly where they want to go. They've got so many guys in arbitration or entering arbitration and we know they're not like a top of the market team that's going to spend millions and millions and millions of dollars on all their talent they're going to move somebody big that christian yellick contract is still in the books for i don't know how much longer but i know it's still there and it's beefy um i think they move at least one major piece one of their big starters uh and we know the orioles have the pieces to acquire pretty much anyone they want they have the payroll flexibility the money and the uh, the prospect capital to do literally anything they want. So I'm hoping uh, I would not be mad if they got one of Milwaukee's big arms. Yeah, I think we saw Dean Kramer loves watching Corbin Burns pitch. Hey, bring him in and learn from him right in-house. That'd be amazing. But uh, all right, we did bold predictions for the Orioles. Now let's just go with the boldest prediction for MLB as a whole over this offseason. Start with Nick. Uh, I don't know. I just big MLB say, fan here. Going the lead off. <laughs> I'm gonna say Jacob Degrom signs with the Rangers. Okay, don't know why, but I'm just gonna go with that as my bold prediction. Yeah, I think uh, actually, I don't know how bold this is, but I think this will kind of shake up, you know, how you're you're looking at things. I'll give two because this one's maybe not as bold, but Clayton Kershaw will finally pitch in not a Dodgers uniform. Um, I think this is the year that he maybe goes to Texas, goes home to the Rangers. I don't think they're going to Grom, but I think they're going to get Kershaw to add to John Gray and maybe try and look a little better than they did last year after winning the offseason. Um, but I will say the other bold prediction is, I think this kind of goes along with Nick. I don't know exactly who it's going to be, but some team is going to sell off a star or two, and it's going to leave you shocked that you know they were like, oh, this team was supposed to compete what are they doing? It's going to be like the Reds almost making the playoffs and then completely selling off everyone. But worse, I think the Brewers kind of fit that mold. And I don't know if it's going to be to the Orioles, but I think you could see a massive fire sale in in maybe a team like Milwaukee. Uh, you know, you look elsewhere, you know, maybe a team like Cleveland could fit that mold just because of how they've operated 
in the past. Um, but I think there's going to be a, a, a weird, weird off season like that, where you look at a team and saying you're a perennial playoff team and they just tear it all down. I'm going to kind of build off of what Nick said. And I'm going to predict that the Rangers sign two top 20 free agents this off season, because I feel like they have put themselves into a spot, but that's really all they can do. Um, Cause they spent so much money last off season and they weren't really fully in rebuild mode, but weren't really in buying mode before that either. So, you know, now they're bringing Bruce Boatsy as manager. They've had the change at the top in baseball operations. They have this new ballpark, which is only going to be new for so much longer. So I think that they spend big again this offseason. And I think that we're going to be here in a couple within the next couple of months trying to figure out why the Colorado Rockies just spent nine figures on a free agent. I just have this sense that it's going to happen. They will commit a sizable contract to a player that we don't see them signing right now. We're not going to understand why they did it. They won't make any moves towards a rebuild, but they won't make a lot of other great moves around that sizable commitment to get better for next year. So I think kind of like with Chris Bryant last year, like why did they do that? I think we're going to be questioning that again with the Rockies this offseason. Questioning the Rockies. Is that really that bold, Zach? Come on. No, it's really not. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll concede it's not that bold. I went with Aaron Judge not returning to the Yankees. Whether it's the Rangers, the Mets, the Giants, he will sign elsewhere. And the boldness comes from Yankees Twitter melting down or Yankees fandom <laughs> melting down. And Brian Cashman is fired for not getting the deal done. I wanted to say Shohei Otani to the Dodgers, but like right before we came on, I think Perry Manassian yep. <laughs> came out and like an idiot that he is said, we're not trading him. Uh, so there went that one. That means Mike Trout's getting traded instead. <laughs> We're going to take some listener questions in a moment, some of which are kind of along the lines of predictions. But first, NFL Sundays are only getting better, and so are the incredible offers of DraftKings Sportsbook, a special betting partner of the NFL. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sports app, place the same game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, player props, and point totals. Do you think the Baltimore Ravens can take down the New Orleans Saints on Monday Night Football? While Isaiah likely step up in the absence of Mark Andrews, head over to DraftKings now and place the same game parlay of Ravens on the money line. Like any touchdown, any time touchdown scorer and likely over 34.5 receiving yards, for plus 390 odds and watch the money roll in while you enjoy Monday night football. With bigger payouts than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is my go-to when betting on the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now using promo code on the verge and place a $500 pregame money line bet to get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner in the NFL with code on the verge. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions reply. See show notes for details. And we'll go in now to a listener question that kind of fits into the predictions mold that we've been following for the rest of this episode. And this comes from Kevin Brown. Would you rather have Anthony Rizzo, Trey Mancini, or J.D. Martinez? And I'm going to start with Connor here. 
those are three very different players in the way that they help you. Um, obviously, you know, they're basically all first base slash DH types. I mean, JD Martinez would be just a DH. Um, but I mean, if I could pick any of the three, I would take Anthony Rizzo right now. I think in terms of age and, and what he gives you, he's the best player. Now I know he had a down year for the Yankees, but he still opted out of his contract. He's a left-handed hitter who I think could just completely pepper right field at Camden Yards. Yeah, you would want to play him at first base. And yeah, Ryan Mountcastle had a great defensive year. But you could basically do what you were doing with Ryan and Trey early in the year. They just kind of switch off DHing and playing first base. Do I think the Orioles are going to pursue him? I really don't. I think if they go after a DH type, it would be a guy who probably also plays the outfield instead of also just plays first base. But He's, you know, Rizzo's younger than than Martinez. You know, J.D. Martinez still has the doubles, but the power kind of went away this year. And I love Trey Mancini, but he's probably the third best player of that group. So give me Anthony Rizzo. Yeah, I like yeah. all of these guys to one extent or another, but I'd probably rank J.D. Martinez one narrowly over Anthony Rizzo just because I feel like, you know, we struggled – at least it felt like we struggled against lefties towards the end of the year at the very least. So get a lefty masher in there. If even if it's doubles with the new wall, it's it's doesn't hurt to have someone like that at the H Rizzo. You can split him and Mountcastle at first base and get good defense either way. Lefty righty bat combination Mancini be a great story if we could get him back and he can rebound to the levels he had in the first half of 2022 and 2021. Then, yeah, but I think just based going up against those guys is pretty tough. Yeah, I don't also don't think that the Orioles go after either of those guys. But uh, if I had to pick one, I'm going Rizzo as well. Just big barrel and hard hit rate numbers. You know, those are two numbers the Orioles like. It, the BABIP was also extremely low with Rizzo last year, so maybe a little bit of bad luck. You get you ban the shift. Maybe the, all of that combines helps him out a little bit more. You see the uptick in production. He gets on base, but uh, yeah. We'll see. I, I think there was a conversation I had about J.D. Martinez at our live show with uh, some people, and I, I, I didn't hear that conversation at firsthand, but uh, I got the vibe that uh, the Orioles would are nowhere near uh, <laughs> thinking about uh, J.D. Martinez bringing him into the organization. I don't think there are a lot of fans of uh, J.D. But Yeah, I would be surprised if any of those three end up with the Orioles. If I had to take one, I would take Rizzo for all the reasons that Connor and Nick mentioned. I think that the Batting average and some of the stats that go with that will go up a little bit next year with the shift being banned. And I would be the most confident in his bat translating into power production at Candom Yards at this point. But I would be really surprised if the Orioles add a bat in that first base DH area. I think if they add a bat, it's going to be somewhere in the infield and or at one of the corner outfield spots. And if the Orioles were to go down the road of trades, and we have a few questions like that here, I'll start with one from Corey. Which top 10 prospect would you be most comfortable trading and which would you least be comfortable trading? And he says that he's thinking guys outside the Grayson Rodriguez, Gunnar Henderson tier. Um, and then he wants to know on top of that, which prospect is the most likely to be traded and would you be okay with it? So I'll start with Bob here. But although I'll you start- just said that you don't see a top 10 guy going. So I want to be hey. curious to see where your answer is here. I yeah so at least it's not saying you know I don't know I, I'm sure I'll contradict myself one way or another on the show but I'll start with most likely to be traded I do think it's Cesar Prieto just because I feel like he's fallen behind a little bit on uh 
the middle infield depth chart, and he's at the Arizona Fall League. Maybe a team sees something they like in him, and the Orioles get an offer that they are willing to trade there. And as far as most comfortable, least comfortable, I'd be least comfortable trading Colton Kowser just because I feel like at the top of the minors for the Orioles right now, I don't think there's really anyone other than Kowser that could just step in early next year and maybe – you know, if there's an injury to Mullins, I feel like you could call Kowser up. And while he's going to take some adjusting to the major leagues, of course, and he's still, you know, got a ways to go. I feel like he is a caliber that could step in and fill a role kind of like the the Braves. Uh, Michael, I can't remember his name. It's been too long since the season was on. Uh, the rookie for the Braves did for center field for them. And most comfortable, I would say Jordan Westberg, just because I feel like Ramon Arias could – fill that role as a, you know, guy that is the DJ LeMahieu of the Orioles who just bounces around, gets at bats all over the place when needed and has some power. And yes, Michael Harris, thank you in the chat. And um, yeah, I feel like Westberg is going to be just a cheaper, younger Ramon Arias. So that's what I said. Um, as far as like top 10 prospect, most comfortable trading, honestly, at this point, uh, anyone and everyone can go. Uh, not everyone, obviously some of these guys are going to pan out, but you know, obviously you're going to keep Gunnar Henderson. You're going to keep Grayson Rodriguez. I think those are two of your cornerstones of this franchise. Jackson holiday. Uh, you, you don't trade him yet, right? They just drafted him. He was a high school pick. Let's wait, give it a, give it a little bit of time. Let him develop here in this organization. But honestly, like I, I love all these guys on this list. I think I, Kobe Mayo would hurt the most, I think, personally. I think it's, I've mentioned that a couple of times before. Him and Joey Ortiz are the two guys that I'm highest on and just personal love for. But honestly, like I think I've said this before as well. I When I started watching the playoffs and you see like Seattle, Luis Castillo going out there dealing for Seattle, and it's like, I want that for the Orioles. Like I, This team can go out and get anybody they want, and honestly, I, I'm ready for it. So I've kind of... I'm comfortable trading anybody you want to trade outside of Grace Rodriguez, Gunnar Henderson. You want to trade DL Hall? Honestly, if you think you can do better and you're not high on him, trade him. I'm fine with that as well, even though he's he's a starter next year. But um, yeah, as far as the top 10 prospect list goes, if you're going to get a good haul for it, make the move. I'm going to have people probably turn against me with this answer. I'm going to start with I'd be most okay with them trading. And I'm going to say Jackson Holiday. And I'm going to say that because he's the furthest from the big leagues of all the top 10 prospects. So even though he was the number one overall pick, and I think he's going to be an amazing player in the big leagues, we kind of know the least about him. I mean, all we've seen him do is play against high school competition. I mean, he's 18 years old. And I can only imagine what the Orioles could get back if they dealt last year's number one overall pick. So that's what I'm going to say because I think the O's are ready to compete. And I don't, I mean, the earliest he could be in the big leagues you'd have to think is 2025. So that's why that's my answer. The player in the top 10, I would least like them to trade away. You said no Gunner and no Grayson for this answer. I'm going to say Heston Kerstad. And I'm going to say that because it is awesome watching what he's doing right now in the Arizona Fall League. It is awesome seeing him get back to the player he was at Arkansas before he got sick. And I do think he is now the player again that the Orioles saw when they took him at number two. And for one thing, I think he would play perfectly at Camden Yards. And on the other hand, I just want the cool story of his debut coming with the Orioles and not coming with another team. 
The most likely guy to be dealt, um, if we're going by what would be a Fangraphs top 10 list right now, that would include Joey Ortiz. I think he's the most likely to be dealt because there's probably nobody else in this system with more helium than Joey Ortiz right now with the season he had. And especially when you compare what the O's or other teams probably thought of him before this season to after this season, there's probably no bigger difference and no bigger increase in the O's system. And I still think there's more question marks about Ortiz's bat than there is about guys like Westberg. Uh, even though what he did late in the year, he's still going to be maybe seen as that glove first guy. But if another team super buys into what he did this season, you could sell high on him and get a solid major league piece. Jackson's dad is now with the Cardinals. So, I mean, the pieces are falling in place there for that prediction there. I think what was it, it Jack Flaherty? You wanted back? Yes, uh, that was mostly tongue in cheek, but uh, (laughs) people took it seriously. But you know, if it's if it's Jack Flaherty and you know one of those young hitters that they can't you know get on the field, Jack Flaherty and and Nolan Gorman and somebody else for Jackson Holiday, let's make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to say that out of the top ten, the players that I would be the most comfortable moving, I think, are also the most likely, and it's one of Jordan Westberg or Connor Norby, because I think that either would fill the same role in the major leagues right now, which is at a minimum part-time second baseman during the season, maybe full-time by the end of the year. I think Westberg might have a higher ceiling of the two, but that Norby has raised his floor and his ceiling so much in the last year that it's actually pretty close between them now. And that's not something I would have said coming into this past season. And I think that the, you know, they would also be the ones I would be the most okay with because that's where you have depth. You have Daryl Hernandez down in the minor leagues. You have Jackson Holiday with the middle infielders. And you also still have guys like, and although I don't think he's a shortstop, a Frederick Ben Cosme who could, in theory, stick at second base that has some helium right now, has played really well. So I think the Orioles will continue to make that a priority and the depth behind those two guys is pretty strong. I'll go to a question now, which is kind of the flip side of that. What prospects would make you the most angry if the Orioles traded them? And I'll start with Nick here. Yeah, I, I think right now it makes a ton of sense if you want to package Kobe Mayo or use Kobe Mayo to highlight a trade package uh, because I think a lot of the industry is already the, – the people who I respect the most in the industry have been high on Mayo coming out of the draft. Uh, and then – Shout out to even our own uh, former colleague there, Stephen Loftus, who sold me greatly on Kobe Mayo after the draft. But it makes a lot of sense if you want to use Mayo to highlight a trade package because of that ceiling. But I just think right now that ceiling is so enormous, and I want to see what the Orioles are able to do with it. Like I just said, I'm fine with anybody getting moved because this is part of using your minor league system, using this prospect depth. But that that one I think would hurt me personally the, the most for for a little bit. Yeah, Mayo is up there for me, but for me, it's Joey Ortiz. I, I just would love that story of, you know, this is Matt Blood's guy. This is the guy that runs our minor leagues, that is, you know, leading the way on this player development. And this has been his guy, and he's been, you know, hyping him up for a while. And just this, the story of, you know, coming back from that injury and having that second half of last year, he's a guy that can play anywhere on the infield at least, probably could play the outfield too at an elite level defensively and I don't know. I would just love to see, even if he's just a role player, I want to see him get a ring with uh, with the Orioles when they finally win the World Series in the next few years. 
I'll give two names, Seth Johnson and Chase McDermott, because if you're trading Trey Mancini, you better be sure that those two guys coming back are going to help you big time at the major league level. And I really do think that, you know, as long as Tommy John doesn't go horribly for Seth Johnson, he's going to be a really good pitcher in the big leagues. But if they turned around and flipped those guys immediately and it didn't turn into, you know, even better big league talent right now, I would not be a happy camper. I would say Joey Ortiz would probably make me the most upset at this point just because I'm so confident in his ability to play shortstop at a high level defensively at the major league level that even if he only tops out at, let's say, 12 to 15 home runs in a given season, he's going to give you a lot of value on defense. Another guy that I would throw in there, too, is Cade Povitz uh, because I think he's kind of only scratched the surface of what he can accomplish. And it from I well, he was on your show, Connor. I believe he said he has not really gotten into making a lot of adjustments yet. That's correct, right? Yeah, and he 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 kind of almost hadn't settled in yet. Even when I talked to him, and it had been like almost a month since the trade. Yeah, so that's a guy I would not want to see the Orioles move just because he had a nice bump over the course of last season, tailed off a little bit um, towards the end of Bowie but I think that he's only really scratching the surface of what he's capable of. And I wouldn't want to see the Orioles move too quickly on him, especially when he's not stuck in a 40 man roster crunch. So we'll go to a question here from Vivek, which is uh, given how the Orioles in 2022 overachieved our expectations to what areas do you expect to see some regression? I'll start with Bob. I got to take the easy answer and just say the bullpen. And not necessarily Felix Bautista, Dylan Tate. I feel like those guys are pretty pretty locked in. I even see Brian Baker having a better year and kind of coming into his own next year. But as Connor had talked about, Cianel Perez, still think he'll be a good pitcher if he's around next year, but definitely overpitched like his ability, maybe not ability, but just his peripherals. Um, and I feel like along the margins, long relief and middle relief, you might see some regression because, man, that bullpen was pretty much lights out top to bottom last year. So you know, that's it, you could say starting pitching, but I just feel like they're going to bring in guys are going to help offset some of that regression. I just said pitching copped out there, um, which is why I'm cool with bringing Lyles back and but also getting two, maybe even three quality arms via free agency and trade. Yeah, I just think, yeah, the bullpen was great. We can't expect all of those arms to repeat their seasons. Uh, you know, we still don't know, like who D.L. Hall, Dean Kramer, and Kyle Breidish are as major league starters. Hopefully at least one pans out as a legitimate full-time starter on this roster. But we saw a lot of fantastic development among the pitchers, but I think regression in this area among like a key arm or two is what scares me the most entering next season. There's not a lot of guys on offense who can really heavily regress <laughs> unless I think Gadley Rutschman's going to do so, which I don't. I'm going to say specifically the fringe level pitchers. The guys who were the back end of the rotation, you know, whether if they bring Jordan Lyles back, if a guy like a Spencer Watkins gets another chance, and then the the Keegan Akins of the world, you know, if Joey Crable comes back, although we kind of saw the regression happening during the season, I kind of don't think he's going to be back. Some of those guys who really in the first half of the season like helped the Orioles stay afloat with the innings that they gave them. Um, I think that's why you're gonna have to add at the top pitching wise. Because if instead of Spencer Watkins in that role, you have a Tyler Wells or a Dean Kramer 
in that number five role, then you're in a much better spot moving forward. I just think they had a lot of kind of fringe guys, even the Austin votes of the world as well, who just pitched well over their head this year and can't count on that happening back-to-back seasons. Yeah, I agree with you, Connor. I think it's specifically in that area of pitching. And I want to make sure I stay consistent with our next question, which is, do you think we finish top 10 ERA next year? That comes from Yoni, and I'll let Connor start with this one. I would say no, just because you don't have to to make the playoffs. Now, it's going to help the stadium the O's are playing in, but you know, I believe they were still 19th or 20th this year that they finish. You can still get an improvement without finishing in the top 10. I think the starters will improve. I think the bullpen could take a little bit of a mild step back just because I don't think they're going to you know, add to it in free agency. They're going to rely on waiver claims, and some guys pitched out of their minds in 2022 to help the Orioles get to a winning record. So I could say, you know, I think they could still finish in the top half of the league, but it's tough to get in the top 10 because, you know, unless the O's make that huge splash trade, they're still not going to have like a true, true ace. Even if we think Grayrod is going to be that guy, he's not going to be that when he just gets to the major leagues. I don't think it'd be awesome if he was, but they're still not going to have that top of the rotation guy that at least 10 teams have. And so I'll say they'll finish outside the top 10. I'm an eternal optimist. So I said yes. And that's because I have them signing a Chris Bassett or a Kodai Senga combined with trading for a Shane Bieber slash Corbin Burns. And then you get John Means back halfway. Grayson Rodriguez uh, makes his major league debut and dominates right away, obviously. So, yeah, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say no only because I'm just so hesitant with so many of the young pitchers. Like I got to even Dean Kramer. I'm still like, you got to show me again next year. Like I love all the development that took place. I love the steps forward. Kyle Bradish, obviously a huge fan of Kyle Bradish. I think he's the guy that I'm highest on among all the pitchers that are already in the major leagues right now. But yeah, Rodriguez might struggle a little bit. Some of these other rookies that come up are going to struggle a little bit. And so I I think, yeah, like Hunter said, you don't need to finish in the top 10. You can still see progression take place. You can also see guys struggle. It's all going to balance out. And they can still be a playoff team. Yeah, I agree. I could see a scenario where maybe you see the pitching staff finish in the top 10 of some categories, but not really the major ones that we're looking at for evaluating top 10. I think it's more likely that between some improvements over last season from existing players and any additions you make that the Orioles get to the playoffs with a top seven, top five offense, and maybe a top 12 pitching staff would kind of be where I go, maybe even top 14. I think that that's more likely than finishing the top 10 of ERA. Um, And I'll go to another question from Vivek here, which is who makes the Gunnar Henderson ascent in 2023 from the minors. And I will let Nick start with this one. I wanted to say Joey Ortiz, but there's been a lot of Joey Ortiz talk already tonight. So I'm going to switch it up and say Judd Fabian. I think he had a monster debut last year in this organization. I think there are a lot of people out there who are extremely high on Fabian. And you look at some of the more advanced numbers that I would pay a lot of money to have access to, to be totally honest, but uh, they were unbelievable as far as like his hard hit rates. Uh, The swing and miss numbers were great. His ability to barrel the baseball, all of that stuff was fantastic. 
I think Fabian, maybe this is another bold prediction as well, but I would not be shocked if by the end of the year you have people asking, like, why is Judd Fabian not in the majors right now? I would not be shocked if that's happening. Is he going to make it to the majors next year? Most likely not. But I think you're going to have a lot of people online saying, get this guy up to the majors somehow because he's playing so well in AAA already in his, what would be his, what, first full pro season. Orioles fans demanding a minor leaguer to be brought up to the majors. I don't believe it. Um, I almost said Dylan Beavers along the same lines, but um, I'm going with Kobe Mayo. I could just see him, you know, he's uh, very similar to Gunner in that he's super young. You almost forget how young he is you know, to be able to get up to double A. Bowie to end last year. He's going to start back there. I could see him making a big leap as he, you know, is turns 21, is able to drink and, uh, you know, you start drinking, you get superpowers. So I could see him uh, forcing the issue towards the end of next year, kind of the way Gunner did. If if everything goes right, I think he he has that ability to do that. I'm going to take two names, two guys who got drafted high and have pretty much been injured since the moment and are finally healthy: Anthony Servideo and Reed Trimble. I think both of these guys had some incredible skills some traits that the Orioles loved when they drafted them for Servideo, It's elite defense in the infield and the outfield. And it's the ability to hit for power, which he showed in that shortened season in old miss, you know, all of a sudden he started hitting homers right before the draft. And that's why the Orioles signed him. I got to, you know, call his games in summer ball after his freshman year. And he was the best player on the field every single night. Um, so I've been a big Servideo guy since then. And then Reed Trimble, I just think, nobody's seen basically at all except for those games in Delmarva this year when he finally came back. But I think he's a guy who has a lot of pop can play the outfield really well. And I think is one of these like prototypical kind of Michael Elias picks in the outfield that we just haven't seen. And I think because of the advanced age, because of the injuries, especially for your video, I think both of these guys will easily be impact guys, at least in double a this year. I'm going to say one of two guys, either Kobe Mayo or Heston Kerstad. For one, I expect both to start at Bowie next year. And I think that Mayo was held back a little bit by that back injury he had over the summer. He missed a good bit of time there. So to get regular at-bats in A for him is going to be big. And I think that one way or another, he starts to settle some questions about his defense. And then what makes Kerstad interesting is – Strong finish to the season. Probably going to put him in Bowie, like I said. And just imagine if the Orioles around the trade deadline could use a left-handed bat off the fence. Does it make sense at that point to go out and acquire one from another team? Or is by that point, you know, you're looking at Heston Kerstad and Norfolk's outfield and thinking if we could bring Kerstad up for the last month of the season, there's that left-handed thump. We could have there to play two or three days a week, pinch hit for us in certain situations. So if Kerstad can stay healthy and continue to build on the progression he made over the last month at Aberdeen in the Arizona Fall League, I could see that happening. A different note here, which we'll go back to talking about free agent pitching, which this is a question from Tim Cook. Do you think a qualifying offer tied to a pitcher is a deal breaker for the Orioles. And I'll start with Bob. You know, there was actually some news recently that uh, I think MLB trade rumors uh, put out there that we, the Orioles were one of the teams that if they do sign someone with the qualifying offer, it will not be their second highest pick. It'll be the third highest pick that gets taken away from them. So 
I actually think that changes things. I think if it was, you know, that top pick or that second best pick, I think it might have scared them away. But since it's only the third pick they have in the draft, plus they get the extra third round pick for not so, uh, signing Nolan McLean, then uh, I feel like they won't mind for the right guy. So, and Carlos Correa doesn't even need, uh, doesn't even have a qualifying offer attached to him. So if you go that route, you don't have to worry about it. But I think anyone like Trey Turner, even a Chris Bassett, who's not as big of a name, uh, I, I think they'll they'll go ahead and do it. Yeah, I guess, I don't think it's going to be a deal breaker like it probably was the last two years or so. But if, if all the data says like, that's our guy that we want him, then the Orioles, I think you're going to go get them. Like I mentioned I feel like they were a lot more risky in the second half of last year's draft. So maybe we start to see that strategy play out a little bit more coming up. And, you know, I look at it as the draft bonus pool. That's going to take a hit if you lose one of these picks. And we know the Orioles like to maximize that money. But at the same time, you're going to have a lot of these international guys start to trickle into double A next season and in the upper levels of the minor leagues. Delmarvin Aberdeen rosters are going to be full of young international prospects. That international talent pipeline is really starting to build and starting to come up. And so I think that's going to help offset any losses you get in the amateur draft process. So if you have to lose a pick to go get that big free agent win now, then don't think twice about it. I think if they're down to two guys and one has the qualifying offer and one doesn't, that may play a role just because they value the draft and and Elias and company have been so good in the draft. But Again, if their guy that they've been targeting has the qualifying offer, I don't think it'll stop them. Yeah, I agree. I don't see it as a deal breaker either. And I'll go to this question here from Corey, which is, which pitchers do you think will move to the bullpen if the Orioles sign or trade for one or two starters? I'll start with Connor. Yeah, so in terms of of guys moving to the pen, I think Tyler Wells is kind of the easy answer. We've seen him do it in the bullpen already and have a lot of success. We've seen his stuff play up in the bullpen. You know, he lost, I'm actually talking about this on tomorrow's episode of Locked on Orioles, is that he lost two miles per hour on his fastball pitching as a starter. He still had success, but the stuff was not the same, and and that was by design as well. Um, And I think another guy is Mike Bauman. I'm surprised that he got as many chances to start as he did at the end of the year. I thought they would just keep him in a relief role, kind of projecting forward, but – I think he's actually going to be on the major league opening day roster as a reliever as well next year. I agree with those. And I'd also say Austin Voth. I think he could be a really good swing man, you know, two, three innings at a time, kind of that Keegan Aiken role from this past year. I feel like he could really excel at that under the tutelage of the pitching development on the Orioles. And I feel like maybe when John means comes back and makes things even tighter, maybe Dean Kramer, could move to the bullpen and hit that 100 mile per hour mark that he so <laughs> want, desperately wants to hit. Yeah, I got nothing to add to that. I think you guys nailed it. Both and Tyler Wells are the two guys. I think Wells should move back to the bullpen. We talked about this last week, but yeah, both those guys, I think you're going to see move to the pen. And, and as far as anyone else, you know, it's, I, I think he deserves every single opportunity to be a starter, but DL Hall, you know, we've talked about this a lot as well. DL Hall has that electric stuff where if you think you can maximize his potential and his talents as a, a late inning guy or just a fireball out of the bullpen, then I'm fine with that as well. Yeah. I, it's going to be someone in the group that the three of you mentioned, because they're going to have to move someone to the bullpen with an eye of filling in innings, especially early in the year. 
because I just don't think you're going to see Grayson Rodriguez or DL Hall on long leases for the first couple months of the season. So you're going to have to make up for that somewhere. And it's going to come from having an Austin Vogt or a Tyler Wells or perhaps a Dean Kramer in a bullpen role. And we'll go to this question here from Cannon. Who is the most likely minor league reliever to make an impact in the majors next year? And I will start with Nick. Uh, Easton Lucas. I'm going to throw the name out there again. Let's get the hype train rolling. He pitched all last season, but is still in Arizona right now where he's pitching pretty well. At least the numbers say he is. Like I wish we had more stat cast data out in Arizona. But other than his last outing, he's been pretty great. Uh, and I think MLB Pipeline it was that had a blurb about him in one of their articles saying there are some scouts in Arizona right now that think he could be a starter. He's got the big velo numbers, a deep arsenal. I think there's a, an outside shot that he could potentially even be like this year's Logan Gillespie, where he's a kind of a shockingly add, a shocking add to the 40 man uh, roster ahead of the rule five draft. I'll jump in and uh, I'll take a guy who's probably the easiest answer in a way because he's already on the 40 man roster, but I'll take Chris Valamont in that role. I think just because of the stuff, uh, you know, high spin, high velocity, fastball, like crazy spin on the breaking stuff. The Twins could not figure out how to get him to throw a strike. He came to Baltimore and almost immediately started throwing strikes in Double A before he got moved up to Norfolk. And, and again, the results were mixed with the tides. But I think if you can concentrate him to one to two innings, I think you know if that is still on the Orioles four man come opening day, they have a plan for him to be on the big league roster next year because you don't claim a guy from double A and keep him on your four man all year if you don't think big things for him. And so I think Palamont's gonna be an impact reliever next year. Yeah, that is a good call. And no Noah Denoyer, who John in the chat mentioned, that's a fantastic answer as well. I thought about Easton Lucas, thought about Nolan Hoffman. Thought about my guy, Adam Stauffer, but I'm going to go with Connor Loprich, who was just a guy that I was shocked that the team stuck with as long as they did when he was struggling and struggling and struggling. And then if you look at his second half last year, he was just – whatever he was working on, it clicked because he had a fantastic second half. And uh, obviously, they see something they like, and maybe that will surprise us similarly to Logan Gillespie as previously mentioned. I think it's going to be Noah DeNoyer. I could just see him stepping into that multi-inning relief role, and he's just got such – he's got really good stuff. He's got a good fastball. And while I don't think he's a direct comparison to Brian Baker in terms of what they bring, you know, what their pitches look like and how they would necessarily, you know, attack hitters, I could see him filling a similar role, which is maybe he is a guy that comes in the middle of the game and gives you two two-plus innings to keep things close and try to keep your lineup in the game, or – you are going to him in the eighth inning in a tight spot to get the ball to Felix Batista. And we'll wrap up here as a question from Vivek. What can be learned from the Tigers and Marlins who went for it in 2022 and stumbled? Why or how are the Orioles different? And I'll start with Bob. I think it just has to do with, I think the Orioles have a better core and the core is offense offensively at at the plate and on the field because you know these those teams are loaded with pitching talent but pitching you know there's such thing as a pitching prospect there's injuries all that stuff between Adley Rutschman Gunnar Henderson and the other thing is I just feel like the Orioles have built such a wealth of depth that you know it might not work out for Jordan Westberg but then you got you got um Connor Norby right behind him and if it doesn't work out with him you got the next guy who's coming up so 
I just feel like between the depth and the offensive core that it's just going to be easier to build around and it's going to have a little bit more of a fail safe than those two rebuilds had built in. I think for that, you know, it's an interesting question. It's something I've talked about on the podcast as well. I think, you know, for the Tigers side, how I really look at the Tigers is they had a lot of Ramon Arias's and Jorge Mateos on that team in this lineup. Guys who, you know, Mateo for this year had a little bit of a breakout. Arias last year had a little bit of breakout. And you went into the next year saying, oh, if all these guys keep breaking out and keep trending upward, we're going to have a great team. Well, they all obviously slid backwards in terms of kind of the fringe prospect hitters who were in the big leagues. And that was one of the worst offenses you're ever going to see is what the Tigers threw out there next year. Obviously, it hurt that Spencer Torkelson was unplayable and he was, you know, your first round draft pick two years ago and he'll be better. But I think the Orioles aren't going to be relying on as many Mateos and Ariases. They just have one of each. They don't have three of each, which it seemed like the Tigers had. They have more backup in, in guys like Jordan Westberg. And, you know, Gunnar Henderson already being there and being a stud. And I think the other thing, too, about the Tigers, you know, they signed a volatile guy to big money in Javier Baez. And just like the hitters that, you know, tanked, he tanked, too. And you knew it was a scenario. Now, they got very unlucky with the fact that Austin Meadows and Eduardo Rodriguez basically couldn't play all year. And those were were two of their biggest signings um, through no fault of the team, bringing them in. On the Marlins side, they got... I feel like kind of caught up in the moment signing Jorge Soler, who, yeah, had a big World Series, but wasn't good the whole season. And they watched him for two weeks and gave him $60 million. I don't think the Orioles are going to – I don't even know who the comparison would be to that in this year's World Series, but I don't think they're going to give Gene Segura like $20 million a year to, to come in this year. So I, I think that's the difference between them. And, and the Marlins, the same thing. They just didn't have the hitting prospects at all. Um, that the Orioles have. But I think there's kind of your, your your two biggest things, you know, relying on too many Arias and Mateo type players and then just signing the wrong free agents. I mean, you can't sign the Solaires and the Baezes as your top free agent hitters because there's too much of a chance for both of those guys to tank, and they both did. Got to yeah, be smart it, with this money. What it comes back to for me is that the 2022 Orioles were better than both the 2021 Tigers and the 2021 Marlins. I mean, the Orioles won 83 games in a division that had three playoff teams in it, two of which won over 90 games. Now you're going to go to the schedule next season where you're not going to play the teams in your own division as much. I think that's going to help the Orioles out. The Tigers a year before started off ice cold. were actually one of the worst teams in baseball for a stretch. Then got hot at the end of the year. But other than the White Sox, there really was not a good team in that division. Um, so you had some room to build with there. The 2021 Marlins were pretty bad. And I don't think that they were good enough to dig their way out with Azabel Garcia and Jorge Soler, especially when they couldn't develop hitters. And the Tigers had a similar problem. And I know it's easy to say this in hindsight, but Spencer Torkelson was not ready. They rushed him to the major leagues. And there's not a Spencer Torkelson on the Orioles right now. Adley Rutzman has already shown he's ready at the major league level. Gunnar Henderson's going to have to take his adjustments and go through his lumps next year, but he's ready to play in the major leagues. You don't have that guy who you're going to put on the roster because it's more exciting and he could, in theory, make your team better, but we don't really know if he's ready for the major leagues or not. And that's just what it comes back to for me is that the Orioles have a better roster going into the offseason. Either one of those two teams did. They have 
a better farm system with better hitters towards the top of the minors. And hopefully they follow that up with better offseason decisions than either one of those two teams made. You mean being patient with some of the prospects might pay off? Um, I'm going to go with uh, coaching, I think, without having super detailed knowledge of Detroit and Miami systems, obviously. I just think that I'm going to hammer this every chance I get. I think every coach in this organization from the DSL to the big leagues, they all seem to be on the same page. I loved a lot of the stories when we had Drew Rahm on. He talked about, hey, we thought the arm slot thing. He's like, yeah, I was just messing around with it. And I went to the coaches and was like, Hey, do you think this will work? And the coaches are like, sure, let's let's practice it. Let's feel this out a little bit. And then, yeah, use it in the game. Let's see if it works. So I think the coaches are willing to listen to the players. It, learning is a, and development, I think, is a two-way street in this organization. Uh, so I, I love that. Um, I think when players and, and writers themselves talk about the coaches in the system, you hear all these big traits, the former teachers, and all the traits that, as a former teacher myself, you hear a lot of these traits that make – teachers stand out above the rest. You hear that with these coaches. And I think there's just a pitching and hitting development philosophy in place in this organization. The Orioles think they have the secret sauce that's going to work in baseball right now. We know that can change. Baseball changes, but they think they have the secret sauce right now to be successful and give them an advantage. And they've got the right people in place. And you're seeing guys like Ryan Fuller in the major leagues. Now we talked last week, Cody Ashy getting moved up his new role, help ease that transition as these prospects move up. And it's just all, one big train moving in the same direction. The Eve Rosenbaum quote just is just ringing in my head all off season or all postseason. This is a player development powerhouse. Let's hope that's true. Well, thank you to our listener for submitting some excellent questions tonight. And on top of that, with our predictions, we had a lot of good off season talk with Connor Newcomb, the co-host or the host of Locked On Orioles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Connor, uh, before we wrap up tonight, tell our listeners what you have coming up. You also run one of the stronger Orioles Twitter accounts that there is. So make sure our listeners know where to find you there. Yeah, you can uh, check us out on Twitter at Locked on Orioles. Uh, you can get the Locked on Orioles podcast wherever you listen to pods. Uh, we're also on YouTube as well. We're sticking daily um, up through the winter meetings, actually. So still a month more of Monday through Friday podcasts, audio and video as well. Coming up on Tuesday, uh, we're going to review Tyler Wells' season and kind of get into some of the conversation we talked about with him today, which is basically, you know, depending on what the Orioles do in the offseason, is he going back to the bullpen or, or can he hold on to a starter's role next year? He, he's definitely an interesting piece. And, and talk about, you know, if I'm worried at all about, you know, the, the multiple different injuries uh, that he sustained in 2022. But yeah, today I just put out my big offseason preview for the Orioles, went through basically everything that could possibly happen this offseason for the O's. And I'm excited for Thursday, 5 p.m. Eastern time is when free agents can start being signed. And what I really want is even if the O's don't sign someone on Thursday, if we can get a Rosenthal or a Passon tweet or a Nightingale tweet that just mentions the Orioles on Thursday, that's going to be just so much more fun than the last five or so years have been. Well, Connor, we look forward to hearing more from you this offseason. Um, so thank you for coming on tonight. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. As for us here at On The Verge, we will be back next Monday night with a preview of the Orioles' decisions relating to the 40-man roster and the Rule 5 draft. That deadline is coming up at the end of next week. Which players do we expect the Orioles to protect? Which ones could be left unprotected and be heading for the Rule 5 draft? We'll get into that on our show next Monday night at 8 o'clock. In the meantime, follow us on Twitter at BSL on the Birds and check out BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com 
For all the latest covers on the Orioles, Ravens, college sports, and more, for Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens and our guest, Connor Newcomb, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On the Birds. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. That'll do it for this week's episode of On the Verge. Be sure to check out our Patreon page where you can help show your support for the show and get bonus content, including monthly top 50 updates to our prospect list and daily game recaps during the season and much, much more.